0: Well, while we had a beautiful day yesterday for the community carnival, by the way, thank, thank you for those of you who prayed last Sunday right here in the sanctuary. I don't remember which quad, quadrant it was, but uh, some of you prayed that we would have beautiful weather. And there wasn't a whole lot of it this past week from what I remember, and uh, the next few days are not supposed to be so nice. But yesterday, when I woke up, the fog was so thick, and I was kind of just went, oh. Uh, and uh, but by the time I got in the car, I could start seeing the sun. And by the time I got to the church, just the fog lifted. And there's this gorgeous blue sky, just so clear and fresh and crisp. What a beautiful day we had with the sun and also in the sun's presence, S-O-N. But you know what? This past week was not a pleasant week for some people. Parts of the Bahamas experienced the fury of a storm, a Category 5 hurricane to be exact, Hurricane Dorian. Countless dwellings in the Bahamas were completely obliterated, and many people lost their lives with the death toll rising daily as recovery efforts continue. Storms wreak havoc, and they leave devastation and death in their wake. Storms issue a summons to battle. A battle between the storm's fury and a dwelling's integrity. And of great importance to the outcome of the battle is the kind of foundation undergirding the structure being assaulted. We may not all encounter storms of nature like Dorian, but we all have faced or will face storms of life. We battle against health storms, Financial storms, relational storms, shattered dream storms, all kinds of mental and emotional storms, and eventually, all of us will face the storm that is called death. These storms of life are just as real and as potentially devastating as storms of nature. When the storms of life wage battle against you, how will you fare? Who will win the battle? The storm or you? This question is at the heart of our focus passage today. The last section of the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been studying in our summer preaching series entitled City on a Hill, just as Fuad. Uh, reminded us earlier i'm going to invite you to do something i'm going to invite you to stand once again i know we've stood a lot today but uh uh, we're going to read god's word together and i believe it's so great when we stand it it uh, helps us to engage with god's with with god's word and we're going to read what jesus said to his disciples on the mountainside but also what jesus is saying to you and me today i'm going to read the parts we're just going to have to back it up there a bit And uh, I'm going to read the parts that are marked, uh, the worship leader, and then would you please join me on the parts that are marked all as we read together aloud. I get to start first. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse, because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowd were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, Jesus ends his teaching by sharing a short illustration about two men. The purpose of the illustration is to help his disciples and the crowds present on the hillside understand that they must make a choice, a choice whether they will follow Jesus' teachings or not. Well, what teachings is Jesus referring to in his illustration? He's referring to everything that he's just said to them, the teachings recorded in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 that we've examined over the summer. Now, some of you have been away over the summer, so let's quickly review those teachings. We're going to take a whirlwind tour through the Sermon on the Mount. You ready? Here we go. Jesus' first words in the sermon were to describe the kind of qualities produced in disciples who are embracing kingdom rule in their lives. Those who are submitting to God's reign. We call these qualities the Beatitudes. The first quality is being poor in spirit. In other words, recognizing our need for God. The second is mourning over our sin. Grieving over the way our words and actions so often fall short of God's standards. The third quality, meekness. We learn that meekness is the opposite of the domineering, aggressive, harsh, and tyrannical spirit prevalent in our world. Craving righteousness is the fourth quality. This includes seeking justice for the poor, exploited and marginalized, seeking the restoration of relationships, and longing for ethical living and the forsaking of sin in our own lives and world. The fifth quality produced in disciples who passionately follow Jesus is showing mercy in the same way that God has shown mercy to us. The sixth is purity of heart, single-minded devotion to God and his purposes. The seventh, being a peacemaker, seeking God's shalom in every human relationship because God has made peace with us through his Son. Being persecuted for doing what is right is the eighth quality of someone embracing kingdom rule. Lastly, enduring and even rejoicing under persecution for following Jesus, even at great personal cost. Well, Jesus continued his sermon by teaching that his followers, you and me, are salt and light. Salt seasons and preserves and light dispels darkness. As we follow Jesus and become more like him, our lives season the world with his character. Our lives reflect a true picture of God, just as a lamp on a stand gives light to a house, and just as a city on a hill points the way forward for hikers on a dark night. Jesus taught that the superficial... Legalistic and external religiosity of the Jewish scribes and Pharisees was not enough to enter God's kingdom. The righteousness necessary to enter and walk in God's kingdom requires an inner obedience from the heart. Well, how do we live up to that kind of righteousness? We can't. It's impossible. But Pastor Grant reminded us that Jesus has made impossible righteousness possible for those who choose Kingdom citizenship. When we submit to the king and become a kingdom of his, of his kingdom, become a citizen of his kingdom, a helper, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us. It's by the Spirit's power, God's power, that we begin a process of transformation that allows us to live out a righteousness that surpasses that of the Jewish religious leaders. It's a righteousness that embraces and fulfills the heart attitude and motivation at the very core of the Old Testament law. Well, what does that righteousness that fulfills this higher standard look like? It means choosing to to eat humble pie rather than blowing a gasket. Notice I said it's choosing to eat humble pie, not apple pie or blueberry pie like we did this morning, as good as those are. For instance, it's not enough to refrain from physical murder. We must forsake anger toward others. It means pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation as a way of life. It's also more than than refraining from the physical act of adultery, as important as that is. It involves refusing temptations to lust and refraining from activities like pornography that stimulate and gratify lust. The higher standard of the kingdom involves treating marriage vows as sacred and choosing divorce only as a last resort rather than as an easy way out. It means keeping your word and walking with integrity rather than saying one thing but really intending something else. The higher standard of the kingdom demands loving. Without limits, This involves forsaking revenge and responding in an opposite spirit when wronged or taken advantage of. It means going the extra mile to communicate God's love and choosing to respond with attitudes opposite to the world. It means striving to be whole and complete as God is whole and complete by rejecting both perfectionism and complacency. As we follow Jesus, Jesus taught that his disciples were to remember that why they do what they do matters. And they were to practice prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting with hearts that want to please God rather than seeking to impress others with our spirituality. Jesus taught that forgiveness of others is essential if we want to experience God's forgiveness ourselves, that we must forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us. Jesus taught that we can't serve both God and materialism and that we are to live our earthly lives focused on eternity and eternal values. He taught us not to worry, but to trust that God is always a good father Instead of trying to get ahead in life, he taught us to earnestly pursue kingdom priorities. He said that if we do, our basic needs will be supplied. He taught us not to judge others harshly as if we are the judge and jury combined, but to judge others like we would want to be adjudicated, remembering the mercy that God has shown toward us. He taught his disciples the importance of spiritual discernment, persistence in prayer, as well as the good and fatherly nature of God. Pastor Sig reminded us last week that Jesus taught that the whole of the Old Testament could be summed up by the mantra, treat others just as you desire to be treated. He also said that the most important factor in our spiritual trajectory, remember what Pastor Grant said, is what? It's our destination destination. If we are intent in finding life as our destination, we must choose the small gate, which is believe in Jesus, and the narrow, difficult way of following him, requiring total submission and obedience. He warned that we must be careful what teachers we pay attention to, and that the proof is always in the pudding. In other words, the authenticity of a person's faith and heart will always be evident in how they live. He warned that doing Christian or church activities is no sure ticket to heaven, but only submission to God's will. He even says that many who think they are Christians will be shocked when they get turned away at heaven's gate one day because they haven't done God's will. Well, What we've just reviewed are the teachings that Jesus is referring to in our passage today as he begins his illustration about two men. Both men in the story are going to experience a storm with flooding and merciless winds like those that decimated the Bahamas this past week. Jesus says that those who hear his teachings and then put them into practice are like a sensible man who builds his house... On a foundation of rock. In other words, a person who believes Jesus' words and acts on them is like a man who understands that the foundation for a house is the most critical part. Of the structure. The person who hears and puts Jesus' words into practice will weather the storms of life no matter how fiercely they rage and beat against his or her life. But Jesus also talks about a second man. He says that those who hear his words and don't put them into practice are like a man who chooses to build his house. on sand When storms assail his house the foundation is not stable enough to support the structure in battle against the storm the house loses and the dwelling comes crashing down In the same way the lives of those who ignore or refuse Jesus teachings will not weather the storms of this life or the final storm of death. Jesus is repeating the message that he has sounded several times during his sermon. He says, you are either for me or you are against me. You're either my follower or you're not. And if you're my follower, the cost of following me is obedience. Well, there were three groups of people on the mountainside hearing Jesus' words that day. The first group was the crowds. The crowds were those who were curious and had come to find out what Jesus was all about. In verse 28, the writer, Matthew, tells us that when Jesus had finished speaking, the crowds were amazed, or your translation might say they were astonished at his teaching. The term amazed or astonished is the passive form of the Greek word ekpresso, which is which in Matthew is not an expression of faith or acceptance. It indicates a variety of emotional responses, but not a commitment to follow Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus was calling the crowds, those present who were somewhat interested, to make a decision. He called them to a commitment. I believe there are those present right here this morning who are like the crowds on the mountainside. You're curious. You, you sense there's something different, maybe even special about Jesus, but you've not yet chosen to believe in him as God's son and to make him the Lord, the boss of your life and to publicly declare your faith in him through baptism. Just as Jesus called to the crowds on the mountainside, Jesus calls you this morning to make a decision. Jesus Jesus called them to commitment, and he's asking you a question this morning. Will you place your faith and trust in him? Will you turn from your rebellion, and will you choose to follow him? At the end of our service today, we're going to have an opportunity. You'll have an opportunity to do that by coming forward and talking with some of our prayer team members here at the front who can help you to make that commitment today if that's the desire of your heart. But there was a second group beside the crowds on the mountainside that day. The second group, almost assuredly there, were some Jewish religious leaders. As we saw various times in our study this summer, These leaders did all the right things, but for the wrong reasons. They were focused on external obedience, on form, on ritual, but their hearts didn't match their outward actions. They did some things for show. Jesus, he called them hypocrites. Jesus said the righteousness of these leaders wasn't sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. Some of you here today are like the religious leaders. Your outward actions look right, but if you are honest, your heart's not in it. You're, You're trying to earn your way to God's favor or doing good things, maybe to look good to others. You may do all kinds of good things. You may have even come to church for years, but you have not chosen to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and to follow him in total submission. Jesus is not your king just as he did with the crowds, Jesus calls you today to make a decision. Will you continue trusting in your own goodness? Or will you choose to recognize your desperate need for God and trust in the work of his son, Jesus? He died on the cross in your your place, paying the penalty for your sins. And he rose again three days later to offer you eternal life. Jesus calls you to a commitment to follow him today. But there was a third group on the hillside that day as well. Who were they? Jesus' disciples. Those who had chosen to believe in and follow him. Jesus also called these followers to a decision. Would they put Jesus' teachings into practice in their daily lives and live out their destiny as a city on a hill? Or would they see Jesus' teachings as an ideal that for all practical purposes is unobtainable? Jesus was saying, following me involves a cost. It means laying down your own desires and priorities and in their place, adopting mine. Jesus was saying, following me requires obedience. Well, Jesus quizzes you and me today just as he quizzed those on the mountainside two millennia ago. Are you going to build your life on a foundation of stone? Or are you going to build your life and are you building your life On a foundation of sand. The storms of life are looming. Will the foundation upon which you are building your life stand the test? Let's pray. Jesus, your words are both life-giving and so full of hope. And at the same time, they are so challenging and piercing to the very core of our being. Jesus, you're speaking to each one of us here just like you spoke to the crowds and the religious leaders and your disciples on the mountainside. Lord, you pose the same question to us. What are we going to build our lives on? What are we building our lives on? And are we going to put your teachings, your instructions into practice or not? Thank you, Jesus, that for those of us who make the choice to build upon the rock, that you don't leave us to do that alone, but that you have sent a helper, your Holy Spirit, to live and dwell inside of us and to superintend that process of transformation that begins in our life when we become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, when we submit our lives to you, Jesus. Father, my prayer is that for each one of us, wherever we are at this morning, that we would hear what you are saying to us and that we would choose life, that we would choose to build on the rock, and we would remember that if we make that choice, that you are there to help us every step along the way. Lord, we rejoice that you are calling us to a life full of adventure. It's not an easy way. The narrow way, the small gate and the narrow way is tough at times. It's hard. The trail can be so narrow. But Jesus, you have promised to walk with us each step of the way. When it descends through canyons that are too dark, then there's no light left. Jesus, the light is, that is you, lights our way for us. And when we're on the top of the mountaintop and rejoicing and we look back and we see where you brought us in our life, you were there to rejoice with us and to celebrate even as we are doing today. So Father, help us to choose to be people who follow your Son with whole hearts, And thank you, Lord, for what you have in store. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the message today has one final part to it. It's not long, but it's a very important part. If we're going to be a people who puts Jesus' words into practice and builds on a firm foundation, there are some basic commitments you and I need to make. The foundation of our life is Jesus Christ. At least he should be. But how are we going to build on that foundation? Well, I believe if we're going to build on the foundation of Jesus, that the first thing that we must make a commitment to as God's people here at Hawkwood is to worship together. Can you say that together with me? Worship together. Hebrews 10:25 says, "Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near." You and I won't build solid lives if we neglect assembling together for worship. I want to challenge you not to be casual about your church attendance, but to be regular in worshiping with your spiritual family here at 20 Hawthwood Drive. If you've been uh, a bit lax about that, I urge you as we start this fall, make a commitment to be, to be here regularly. Second, to build our lives on a foundation of Jesus, we must grow together. Say that with me, please. Grow together. And the best way that I know to, to grow together is in a small group. Small groups are about three things. They're about community, about discipleship, and about outreach. Small groups are the church in microcosm. In small groups, we love, pray, and care for one another. We study the Bible, God's word, and we apply it to our lives together. And we learn to actively share the good news and love of Jesus in ways that bring transformation to those outside the church. If you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, participation in a small group is, is one of the best ways I know of how to pursue it. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk more about small groups here at HBC and what that looks like. Third, to build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, we must serve together. Say that with me, serve together. You and I must not ask, what can the body of Christ do for me? But rather, we should ask, what can I do for the body of Christ? The body of Christ is only healthy to the extent that each member of the body serves others inside and outside the body. Jesus made clear that there can be no spectator disciples. To be a disciple is to serve. Everyone in our church family needs to minimally be serving in at least one ministry of the church. Many of us have the capacity to serve in two or more service roles. The key is to ask God where he is calling you to serve and then get with it. Well, Jesus called those on the hillside to action and we, the leadership of Hawkwood, is calling you to action today too. Our ushers are coming forward right now to the front and they're going to distribute a list of service roles within our church. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to quickly review and to fill out this short form, and then in just a few minutes to drop it back in the offering plates when they are passed. And what am I asking you to do with the form? Two things. The first thing is this. I'm asking that if you're already involved in a ministry role or roles, and you've chosen to continue serving in that role or roles this fall, that you would circle the role or roles in which you are serving or which you will be serving this fall. Two, the second thing, if you are not currently serving in a ministry role or if you have the capacity to take on an additional role or two, I'm going to ask you to circle the role or roles in which you have interest. Now, expressing interest by circling a role doesn't commit you at this point to a role. It simply says that you are interested to learn more and you're willing to consider serving in that servant role. What's going to happen is once these are collected, these are going to be distributed to our various ministry directors. And this week, we're going to be asking them to follow up, to give you a phone call or by email to connect with you and to talk more, to give you more information about the role or roles in which you have expressed interest. So as you are filling those out, I'm going to go over, come over here to the uh, pan anter and just tickle the ivories uh, for a second or a minute and give you a chance to do that. And then after a minute or so, I will call the ushers back up to be able to uh, pass the offering plates to collect these. Pressures are coming back to the front. If you haven't had time to finish filling out those, you can take a little bit more time and then either turn those in at the info desk after the service today, or you can hand them to me, to any of our staff, to Pastor Grant, to any of our elders, and we will make sure that those get to the church office and that they get directed to the various ministry directors this week. I know that God is going to bless you as you choose to put your faith into action by serving here at the church. So many of you already are. And uh, I know that your hearts of service please the Lord. But we need everybody to be in the boat. We need everybody rowing. Because, you know, if not everybody is rowing, the ones who are rowing, after a period of time, their arms start to to get tired. But when we all all row together... Our ship, this church, can move through the water to accomplish all that God has for us. We can, we can do all the things that he has in his heart for us.